altered or changed. No matter what church you're in, his vision is always the same thing. And that vision is for him to have an intimate relationship with you. Everything else is just a means to an end, a way of doing that. All the stuff that Craig's talking about, about you know, uh, missions, trips, and about Bible colleges and the daycare, and, and all of that is all about you making adjustments and changes and sacrifices to be in a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. Do you understand? Does that make sense? One of the things that I find quite interesting about vision is that we assume it just belongs to the pastor. Now, because Craig is our pastor, and God always gives vision to the man of God. That's how it happens, and then he then tells it to the rest of us. But it's not actually the pastor's vision. And it's not just God's vision. It needs to be your vision. Because without you, it actually doesn't come to pass. You can't rely on the pastor or the leadership team to pull off the vision because that's not what it's about. See, the role of the pastor and of the leaders is to equip you to fulfill the vision. So you're the one who actually has to do the vision. You're the one who has to work out the vision. So one of the things that I've been really praying for, and, and we got the team to pray this morning, was that you would actually be able to see. As Craig begins to share the heart of it, you need to know the heart of it, the the physical stuff that we do, the daycare and the missions trips and all that is just things that we do. They are just actions that we do, but that's not the heart of the vision. The heart of the vision is what happens in you. And one of the things that I've been really praying for all this week, actually for for the last couple of weeks, has been that you would begin to hear the vision and see the vision, not just in the natural, but also in the spiritual. You need to be able to see with the eyes of the Spirit to see what God is doing. You need to be able to see your role in it as as it's shared and as it's outworked and as, he's, as um, Craig is speaking about it, you need to be able to see it through God's eyes. So that's what I really want. So I'm just going to pray that right now before we start. God, I thank you that you brought us all together here for Vision Sunday. I thank you, God, that you have once again given the vision, Father, but made it deeper. God, you've added the details. You're adding layers to the vision, Father, because your vision actually has not altered. So I pray that everyone here will hear your words. They will hear and see spiritually what it is you're doing, the part that they have to play, what it is is required from them. I thank you, God, that we're going to walk away from here with a sense of purpose to our life and a sense of destiny. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. So at the end of last year, towards the end of about sort of October and November, and I was thinking about myself personally, about what I was going to do, like what was it God was speaking to me about? And God actually gave me this verse. And so I kind of mulled on it a bit, and and I was like, okay, God, I see what you're saying. I know what it is you want me to do. So I started making plans in my own life about what God wanted me to do over this particular verse. And about the end of December, I think it was, I shared it with Craig, because I'd sat on this for a while, just, you know, mulling it over, and I shared this verse with Craig. I said, this is what I think God wants me to do. This is what I think God's saying to me. This is what I need to do. And I started making some some steps and some plans, and... um, some of you will know because I've shared with you about what I'm, I'm doing at the moment with fasting and stuff like that. So you actually know a little bit about what that's about. And so as I shared this with Craig, after a couple of weeks, he came to me and said, I don't think that was just for you. I actually think that was a verse for the church. And, I, and so I kind of prayed about it, and I agree with him. I actually think it is a verse for the church. And that verse is Jeremiah 6, um, 16, and it says, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you'll find rest for your souls. The thing that I love about that is, is the whole, 
get back to the old paths. And as I dwelt on this and, and was meditating on this, and not only for myself but also for the church, do you know what it speaks to me of? Getting back to that first love. Getting back to that time when you first fell in love with God and you were so crazy that people actually didn't want to be around you because you were a bit nuts. Where every second word out of your mouth was, oh my gosh, at, at church God did this and God said that and God, the, reading the Bible and the Bible saying this to me and the Bible saying that to me. Do you remember what you were like when you were like that? Do you remember how crazy people thought you were? That is what I was thinking about. About how it's not just getting back to that because all of that speaks about your intimate relationship with God. And we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that entwined, intimate relationship with God where all the cares of this world and all the stresses of this world and all the things that we're going through in this world pale in comparison to what we see him doing, to what we experience in his presence. So for me, this was uh, going to be a personal journey about making sure that I am back at that, that point of my relationship with him. But for this church, it's about making sure that we as a corporate body are in that intimate relationship with him. You may not realize it, but since the beginning of, of uh, the church this year, every service has actually been speaking to you about what the vision is. It may not have been so blunt and blatant to say, this is the vision, but in actual fact, that's what the different people who have been speaking have been doing. They've been layering you and preparing you and preparing your heart to receive the full vision. You see, Craig spoke, uh, uh, did a series called um, Love Your Roots. If you have not heard it and you're a part of this church, you need to download it and listen to it. You need to understand where we're going this year. You need to see that it's not going to be about attending events, but it's going to be about you personally and your relationship. You see, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We need to have fruit. The only way you're going to get fruit is if you're in an abiding relationship with Jesus. That speaks of intimacy. That speaks of being bound to him. That speaks of being so close to him, you don't know where he starts a new, a new end or vice versa. And it's about loving your roots. It's about loving that initial part of that relationship with God. It's about loving the basics of your Christianity. It's about not getting bogged down in human reasoning about this is what God actually meant. No, no. God says he loves you. That's it. You know what I'm saying? So you have to understand that we're going to get back to our roots because that's our vision. Our vision is for you to be a devoted follower of Jesus. You cannot be a devoted follower of Jesus if you are not in an intimate relationship with him. You're just going to be, you know, some random fan. I, I am a fan of the Warriors. But if they're losing too badly, I turn off the TV and walk away. I am an intimate relationship with God, which means even when my world is falling apart and I don't understand what he's doing, I don't walk away. I stay. So we're going to get back to our roots because we're not going to be focused on the fruit of something because the fruit is actually a natural byproduct of your relationship with God. So if you want lots of fruit, get intimate with him. So you see, the bigger your root system, the bigger your foundation, the deeper your intimacy with him, the bigger the fruit is going to be, the bigger you are going to grow, the more outreach you're going to be able to do. That all right? And so this year we're going to grow our roots and we're going to grow our roots down deep and we're going to become root-focused and not fruit-focused because we understand that if we get our roots right, the fruit comes. But there are three types of soils 
that help your roots to grow strong. And these are the three areas that we're going to focus on this year. And the first one is this, love him passionately. Love him passionately. This speaks to me of a soil of intimacy. Matthew 6, 6 says this, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is a secret, in the secret place and your father who sees in the secret will reward you openly in public. You see, our secret place is our devotional life. It's our devotional place. It's the place where we talk with God, where we spend time with him. And can I just say this, that uh, time with God is not just about you requesting time with God is actually about you listening. I don't know about you, but I don't like it very much when my children are just constantly demanding and not actually listening. Can you hear what I'm saying this morning? And so we need to love him passionately. We need to develop this life where we are looking for him in our devotional life. We need people that are devoted to their devotional life, not their emotional life. Are you with me this morning? Too many people are led by their emotions. We're going to be led by our devotion, our devotion to our Savior, our devotion to our prayer with Him, to His Word, to the things that He's speaking to us through. Why? Because in the secret place, in that devotional life, is where God is waiting for you. He waits there for you to come so that he can speak with you. Our first call in life is to be with God. That is the first and foremost thing that you are called to do, is to be with him, to be in relationship with him, to sow into him. Everything you could ever need or could ever want is found in the presence of God, and it is there in his presence that you find the reason of why you were created. The intimate place is where you're transformed, yes? It's where you, you start to think like he thinks. You start to love like he loves and you start to do the things that he does. Why? Because you become like the people you hang around. I say this all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The Bible says this, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And here's the other thing, you reproduce whatever you're intimate with. Come on. Husband and wife become intimate, and what do they do? Re reproduce themselves. So when we build this intimacy with God, we reproduce out of that relationship what we're intimate with. Into our world, and into our families, and into our workplaces, into our schools, and into our community. And so this is the place, this, this secret place, this devotional place, this place where we spend time with God, is actually where our roots really start to grow, because we start to think like He thinks. We start to love like he loves, and everything starts to make sense. We're not called to simply work for God. We're actually called to love God. Come on. You're really quiet this morning, and you need to lift your voice a little bit because the Bible says this, where two or three agree on something, then so he is. And so if we're in agreement, we need, we need to be able to amen to that. Are you with me this morning? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to help. Because I don't know about you, but there's quite often I hear things and messages. I'm like, man, I really need that. So I've got to say amen, or I've got to say, yeah, that's good, or come on, or something like that. Because I need to agree with it so that it becomes part of who I am. Because I need God to do something in my life, and you need God to do something in your life. And, and the thing is, is that if we are just got this mindset that I'm doing this for God, and I'm doing that for God, then it's not coming out of our love for God, because 
in, in John 10, Jesus says that you'll do these things because you love me. Love of him is the motivating factor for why we do everything that we do. Come on. Otherwise, it's just works, and works is pointless. The most strategic thing that you can do with your life in 2017 is to establish an intimate devotional life with Jesus Christ. That's the best thing that you could do, better than anything else. If that's the only thing you do this year, you are uh, on a winning side. You are uh, advancing your life forward. You are developing something because more is caught than is taught. And so as you're walking around in your life, as you're walking around in your home, as you're getting closer and more intimate with Jesus, the spirit that you carry latches on to those around you. Come on, it brushes off on those around you, whether it be your workplace, whether it be at the supermarket. Whether it, they, they, they say that Charles Finney, one of the great revivalists, would walk through uh, a massive, like, um, sewing machine plants, you know, where they're sewing clothes, and as he walks through these manufacturing plants, people would drop to their knees and give their lives to Jesus Christ in tears just because he was walking through the building. Why? Because more is caught than is taught. It wasn't that he said anything, it's just that he had such a close relationship with Jesus Christ that his spirit just overflowed out of him into all the environments that surrounded him. Come on, that's what happens. If there's nothing else that you do this year, if you build that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you great things are going to happen because some things God only releases to you in that intimate environment. You know, there are some things in my marriage, and I'm not trying to be gross this morning, but only happen in an intimate environment. And there are some things with God that you only get in an intimate environment where He can speak to your heart and speak to your mind and speak to your spirit. And you don't get it from anywhere else other than with Him. And so we are determined, I am determined, first and foremost, to do everything I can this year to help you, especially to cultivate and to develop a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, God said, I know your good deeds. In other words, I know all this good stuff that you're doing, but you've forgotten something, your first love. Yeah. And there's no point us doing all this good stuff if we don't have a love of Jesus Christ. So how are we going to do that? Well, we've already had one week of prayer and fasting. We're going to have three more weeks of prayer and fasting this year, and, and we're going to really up the ante on those, and, and we're going to put out some devotionals as we get the opportunity to do that. Different ones within the church are going to write devotionals. We're going to, they don't even know that yet, but they're going to do that. We're going to start up a book club where I'm going to recommend a book to you, and you can order that book, and, and we'll get it from Book Depository really cheap for you, and then you can read that. We're going to try and do one a month. Why? Because I am determined that if we can get you close to God, everything else kind of takes care of itself. Are you with me this morning? The first soil that we need to do is we need to love Him passionately. It's the soil of intimacy. The second thing is, is we need to serve Him practically. It's the soil of serving. One, God transforms you in a soil of intimacy, but the other place that God transforms you is in the soil of serving. And it says in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, it says, But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who were great exercised authority over them. Yet 
it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Can I just say this? Jesus is not rebuking the disciples for wanting to have greatness. Because we have this mentality that, oh, we have to be humble and, you know, under a hole somewhere behind a rock and, and eat two-day-old bread and drink stale water and then we're somehow godly. He's not rebuking them for wanting greatness. He's just saying to them, it's awesome that you want to be great in the kingdom, but let me explain to you how you become great in the kingdom. So wanting to become great in the kingdom of God is not a bad thing. That's a great thing. you just got to learn how greatness happens in the kingdom of God. Are you with me this morning? All right. And it goes on and it says this, It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. <laughs> Sounds really horrible, doesn't it? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I love the fact that in this scripture, Jesus marries forever the concepts of greatness, leadership, and royalty with concepts of humility, love, and service. So Jesus is saying, you should want to be great because there's greatness in you. God has planted a seed of greatness inside every single person here, but you have to understand that the way to greatness in the kingdom is by serving, is by, you know, the thing is, is this, is that the Bible says this, that God resists the proud, but he elevates the humble. And so what happens in our worlds is, is when somebody humbly serves God, God says, my job when you humble yourself is to exalt you. It's my job to be humble. It's my job to serve. It's my job to do those things. And the byproduct of humility and service is exaltation. You're right. That should encourage you. Because so many people think, I got nothing good to give. I, I, I'm just a nobody. I'm a Neville, N Nigel no mate. So I'm just a, no one loves me. Everybody hates me going down the garden to eat worms kind of scenario. That's a false humility. That's a lie from the enemy. You have greatness in you, but the humbleness comes when we understand that it's God that releases the greatness in me. And so I'll humbly serve him because I have an intimate relationship with him. Because you've got to understand that if you fall in love with Jesus in, a, in an intimacy, if you passionately love him, then it's automatically that you will practically serve him. You think about that in a family. You, you don't complain about having to look after your children when they're little. You don't, you don't, you don't well, maybe you did, I don't know. You don't, you don't complain about having to love your wife or love your husband. You don't, you don't complain about having to, to love on your nieces and your nephews. Why? Because you love them. So when my nieces and Trinity's and our nieces and nephews come to our house and they stay the night, especially on a Friday night, this thing kind of happens on a Saturday morning. There's pancakes or there's bacon and egg bagels for breakfast. All this amazing food that I, I don't get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't even get it on a Sunday morning, but we get it on a Saturday morning. Why? Because she loves her nieces and nephews so much. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a task to serve them. It's just it's, it's motivated by love. And so when we come into this intimacy with God, then we can't help but serve him. 
because we love him. Greatness in the kingdom is expressed by becoming the least. And in John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You know, Jesus not only said that, but Jesus actually did that. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool that he, he, he said, hey, look, this is the thing. No greater love has anybody than to lay down his life for his friends. And just so you know what that looks like, I'm going to do it for you. Even yet, while you were still sinners and you hated him, he died for you. To go to the cross was not a sacrifice for him. It was about loving his God and following him and everything he did. When we serve others, Jesus actually counts it as us serving him. In Matthew 25, 34, 35 to 40, it says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, this is Jesus speaking, will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. In other words, he's saying, when you feed the hungry, you're feeding me. When you give a drink to the thirsty, you're giving it to me. When you're clothing the naked, you're clothing me. When you are visiting someone in prison, you're visiting me. In other words, he's saying, everything you do in service is actually about me. It's not about the people. The least, because he says what you do for the least of these, why, why do you say the least? Because usually the least can't give you anything in return. And so that's how we know that it's sacrificial love that we're pouring out for people. Because if you're only doing something for what you can get in return, then that's not service, that's a contract. That's called turning up to work so you can get a salary. But in the kingdom, Jesus died on the cross for us because that was something none of us could do. And he never actually asked anything in return. He didn't demand that you follow him. He's invited you to, but he hasn't demanded you to. Because that's what love does. Love does it because love cares without any return. And so when we serve others, we're serving him. You simply cannot love Jesus and live for him without loving people. You know, this, the church... When I say the church, I mean people in the church, whether it be this church or another church, the Bible describes that as the bride of Christ. And what he's really saying is that you can't love the groom and hate the bride when it comes to the kingdom. You can't say I love Jesus but despise the church. It just doesn't work because if you told me that you really like me but you hate my wife Trinity, we're just not going to be friends. Because we're one, we're joined. And when it comes to the church and Jesus, it's one, it's joined, it's together. And the thing is, is about Jesus is he takes it really personally. That's why he says to them here, what you did for them, you did for me. He takes it personally. 
He personally takes it. Whenever we do something for somebody, when we do a servolution later this year and we go and bless someone without any agenda to it, we're not doing it for them, we're doing it for him. Are you with me this morning? You see, people say this, they say, it's not about you, it's about others. But can I say to you this morning, it's actually not about others, it's about Jesus. It's not about others, it's about Jesus. It's always, always been about him. We are about others because we're about Jesus. We love others because we love Jesus. We do stuff for others because we love Jesus. You see, when we get into the psyche that I'm doing you a favor, I'm doing the church a favor, I'm doing that solo mama favor by helping them out, friend, we have stepped out of the blessing because we don't do it because I'm doing you a favor or we don't do it because we're getting recognition or reward. We do it because we love Jesus and because we love Jesus, we serve. Because we understand that when we serve others, we're serving Jesus. We serve because we want to love Jesus and our service is a gift to him, seen by him but not by others. All of our lives should be about service and love to God through service and love to people. I want to tell you this morning that if you truly love God, then you're truly going to love people and you will serve them because you understand that in serving them, you're serving Jesus. And it's not about them and it's not about you. It's actually about him. And so how can I serve him practically this year? There'll be a whole lot of opportunities as we come throughout the year. But can I say this? You could join a hosting. You could become part of the Ignite crew with our kids out the back. You could serve in Kids Zone, looking after the kids so that people like solo mums can actually sit in the service. You can serve in all sorts of areas inside the life of this church and outside the life of this church. But you can't say that I love God and then not serve him practically. It just doesn't work that way. We're going to love him passionately. We're going to serve him practically. And lastly, we're going to live for him purposefully. We're going to live for him purposefully, which speaks to me of the soil of community. Soil of community. Community for us you know, doing life together for us, especially in the Western world, is quite a, quite a hard concept for us to get because we kind of celebrate individualism. Yeah? You get people that stand up and say, I'm a self-made man. You know, that's the biggest lie on the face of the planet. You, you are not a self-made man because you didn't get to where you got to purely on your own. People helped you get there. Nobody is self-made. Everybody has somebody help them at some stage or part of their process. And the thing is, is Jesus lived in community. He and his disciples traveled together, ate together, slept in the same places together. They worked together. You know, the only times that he drew away from them was not to abandon community, but to show us that he had a secret place, that he had a devotional life. The only time he withdrew from people was to establish his intimacy with God. And in establishing his intimacy with God, it allowed him to come back and to serve and be part of community. And so community is incredibly important to Jesus 
And we know that because this is the last prayer that Jesus prayed before he died on the cross. And I want you to hear it this morning. It's in John 17, verse 20 to 23. And he says this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Listen to what he says here. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Do you, do you think God's trying to say something in this scripture? One, one, that they would be one. That they were, it's like, okay, I, I got it the first time. Have you ever had to do that with your children where you're like, hey, you need to clean your room. And, and then after about 15 minutes, they haven't done it, so you remind them. You need to clean your room. Yes, I heard you the first time. I wonder how often we're like that with God, but God is kind of doing the same thing as we do as parents. You know, it's like, when you will be one, they'll be one, they'll be one, they'll be one, and he says this, they'll, they'll be one like we're one. In other words, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God that can't be separated, they're, they're completely whole together, you can't separate them from each other, they are one, there is a oneness to them, there is this ability that they, they just cannot be separated from one another. And Jesus' last prayer before he died on the cross for you and for me was that we would be one like their one. That we would be together. That we wouldn't easily be separated. That we wouldn't easily be put off. That we wouldn't easily be offended and walk away. That we wouldn't be easily put off by things that are going on, but that we would be one. That we would come together as one. That, that Jesus served the Father and the Holy Spirit served, and they all worked together so that you and I could experience salvation. So you and I could experience forgiveness. So you and I could experience healing. So you and I could experience this oneness that only comes in community. You can't get it any other way. You can try all sorts of things, but you will not find the oneness that you need. You will not find the community that you need until you find the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus came to give you salvation, but the church came to give you community. And the Bible says this, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But it says this, that you confess your sins to one another so so that you may be healed. You know, if it's just you and Jesus, you'll have salvation, but you'll never be healed until you come into community. You were not designed to be on your own. You were designed to be in community, just like they were. That's why it says, in his image, in his likeness, he made them. The image of God is, is that it's a triune connected God. He is not separated and he created us in that image. And that's why he said, it is not good that man should be alone. He wasn't talking about marriage. He was talking about there's something not right here. It's not quite reflecting who we are. There needs to be community. There needs to be community. He clearly shows in this passage his passion for community. And what is his passion needs to become our passion. 
Because I don't know about you, but I've heard so many times people say, Jesus plus me is a majority. Who's heard that? Jesus plus me. Put your hand up if you've heard that. You would have heard that if you've been around long enough. People say, it's just me. All I need is me and Jesus. Me and Jesus are a majority. You know what? That's not even biblical. It's kind of true to a point. But Jesus actually sees things a little bit differently. Jesus sees it this way. You plus the family of God that I put you in plus me is a majority. You plus community plus God is a majority. Why? Because you're not designed to do life alone. You're not designed to be in your own world. You're not created to live life alone. You were created for community. Well, how do you know that? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 to 27, in the message paraphrase version, it says this, and I love the way that it puts it. It says this, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. In other words, he's saying, outside of community, your life is meaningless. But in community is fullness of joy, is the fullness of your calling, is the fullness of your gifting. See, in the Western world, we like to be individualistic. If you've ever come on a Fiji missions trip with me, you'll understand how wrong we get it sometimes. I go over there and I took a team there once and we went to paint a church and, and we rocked up and the first day we get up in the morning and say, so we'll start painting the church today. And Pastor Alapati goes, no, no, not today. Today we just sit and talk. All right, second day, get up. Right, we're going to paint the church today. No, 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 not today. Today we, today we go and just have fun. Well, I didn't. I ended up doing six hours of lectures in 36-degree heat under a tin roof while the rest of the team went and swam at the lagoon. But that's, that's another story that God's slowly healing me of. I have a little bit of bitterness there still. Um, and then the third day came along, still nothing. And I can remember Paul Martin and Murray coming to me and said, man, if we don't get on to painting this church, we're not going to get it finished. Like, it's going to take us, like, you've got to say something to them. And I'm like, well, this is Fiji. And, and it's kind of their problem. Like, we don't get the church finished. That's their problem. It's not our problem. They're the ones that are saying we can wait. Anyway, two days we got left in the village to get this whole building painted inside and out. And finally they go, let's paint. And next minute there's like all these village boys there. And in two days they got the whole entire place painted inside and out. And the reason why it got done in two days is I can tell you this, because for four days, community was built. 
what the village wanted to see is that we loved them and that we were there for them and that we cared for them more than what we could paint a building for them. And at the end of that trip, as we're sitting there and they're talking in Fijian and doing the hand clap stuff and I didn't even understand what was going on, all I know is that I had this overwhelming presence of God come upon me and I just started to cry as they're handing over a whale's tooth from the village to Pastor Alapati. And you've got to understand in Fijian culture, the whale's tooth is what you give when you want to marry someone's daughter. The whale's tooth is a very, very significant thing. It only gets given on special occasions. And they gave it to Pastor Alapati in our church as a way of saying, you have open access into this village whenever you want. You can do whatever you want in the life of this village because we know that you love us. Because community was built first. And we have to change our thinking, I believe, in the life of CFC. We have to love him passionately. We have to serve him practically. But we've got to live for him purposefully. And the purpose that he created us to be was in community. And so we're going to redefine how we do our connect groups this year because every single person is going to be able to be in a connect group because we're going to do them morning, lunchtime, nighttime. We're going to do them wherever you are. If there's four of you that all work in Manukau, we're going to get you because we want you to do life together because nobody is created to do life alone. And if you're like, man, it's not really my cup of tea, that's because you're trying to be individualistic instead of being kingdom-minded of getting in community. And we will grow in the soil of intimacy by passionately loving him. We will grow in the soil of serving by serving him practically. And we will grow exponentially by being in the soil of community as we live for him purposefully. And you know what? One leads to the next. Intimacy leads to serving, which leads to community. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this year, when you hear about the things that are going on and you you hear about the stuff that is happening, or how can I be in community where you can be in a connect group? You can be in church way more often than some of you are. You know, you want to be in here as often as you can. Why? Because it's about community. If you aren't already giving into the life of the church and you call Christian Family Center your home, then you need to be giving into it. Why? Because when the community comes together and our giving, we're able to do things exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever do things on our own. And we don't want to miss an opportunity that God has for us because we're going to come together in community because we're going to live for Him purposefully. Trim, why don't you come and the musicians, why don't you come as Trinity finishes off this morning. Musos. So it's not so much a vision about the things that we're going to do, but it's a vision about what you need to do. Because the vision will only come to pass according to the depth of your relationship with God. And it may seem to you like a vast change to how we've done things in the past. And in some ways it is. But we feel a sense of urgency in our spirit that we need to make sure that each and every person who calls CFC home is in a deep, intimate relationship with God. It's not about having people who add church on to the end of their week. It's not about having a people who just tap on God's shoulder whenever they have a need for something. We want to have a church full of people who are so passionate about him. 
who are so crazy about God that that is the first thought when you wake up in the morning. That when you wake up in the middle of the night and you go to get a glass of water, that the first thought in your head is actually, what is God saying to me? What am I doing? That is what we're looking for. So this vision is about you. And it comes to pass as you do it. There's a really interesting phenomenon that happens in the marketplace. And I was reading about it the other day, and I thought it kind of fitted with this. And there are four groups of people that operate within the marketplace. They're the innovators. They're the first responders. There's the, the mass buyers. And then there are the laggers. Now, the lagger is, is just that. There's someone who lags behind what's happening. There's someone who... who uh, comes to you and they say, I brought this phone, it's great. And you realize it's three versions old because they kind of lag behind what they're doing. They lag behind what, what's happening in the marketplace. The mass, the mass buyers are, are, the, are the majority of people who wait to see what the first responders are saying about it before we decide we're going to buy it. The first responders... You actually see them most when it comes to, uh, I'm going to use the example of Apple. Whether you like Apple products or not is totally irrelevant. But I have seen people queue for over 24 hours outside a store waiting for the latest Apple product. They are what you call first responders. They are the ones who actually see the value in something and lay a hold of it. And it's from their words, what they talk about it, that convince the mass buyers to get on board. And then, of course, you have the innovators, and they're the ones who come up with the idea and I was thinking about this, and do you know what I realized? Do you know that Joshua and Caleb, they were first responders. You see, when they were called to go with the other spies to spy out the land, to see how great Canaan was, they were first responders. Because they came back and they went, oh my gosh, this product is amazing. It's going to do this, and it's going to do that, and it's going to be amazing. Because in our future, this, this, and this will happen. But what happened was... They couldn't convince everybody else, so they spend 40 years wandering the desert waiting for the laggers to catch up. This is going to be a church of first responders. This is going to be a church of innovators. If you are leading a team or you have an idea of a team that you could lead, you're an innovator. And in this church, the pastor and the leadership team don't control everything. We allow you the freedom to express what it is God is speaking to you about. And what we're going to have is a group of people, a church full of first responders. So I'm going to put out a challenge to you. If you just want to close your eyes, and I want you to think just for a moment about what God is saying. Are you loving Him passionately? If not, what can you do so that you are? Are you serving Him practically? And if you're not, ask yourself why and what you can do. And we're going to live for him purposefully. And we know we can do this. But you need to be a first responder. You need to respond to what God is saying. You need to respond to the vision. You need to take ownership of it. Because the pastors and the leaders can only do so much. So right now, if you're like, yes, I'm going to be a first responder, I want you to put your